officers that we might have. So uh, again, admin at sccnh.com, send an email, and Marissa will keep a track of SVP. If anything changes, please let us know as soon as possible. That way we can take you off the list, and that will open up uh, for other people to RSVP as well. So that being said, uh, it is the, uh, we've officially begun the Advent season. Uh, so this is the first Sunday of Advent, and as we traditionally do, we have a, we'll have a, an Advent reading, uh, lighting of the candle. So uh, we'll begin with that this morning, and then uh, we'll transition to a time of worship. As you see, uh, Chris Allen has joined us this morning to lead us in a time of worship through song, and then uh, Devin will be preaching for us this morning. So let's uh, transition to the Advent reading, and for that, I'm going to ask uh, my loving wife to join me up here for the Advent reading. through the lighting. As we begin this Advent Sunday, we must return to before Jesus ever came to the earth. The people of Israel are in bondage to other kingdoms and the sin within. It is a time of when the prophets of God pleaded with the people to turn back to the Lord, or they would face the judgment that he had promised back when the law was given at Sinai. During this time, there was also a message of hope being brought by the prophet Isaiah, who said, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior and battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this, Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. The time of darkness and sin would end. Behold, the Lord would do this incredible work. God was going to send his son to rule, to teach, to save, and to love us. We would have peace with God and man. We light this first candle in remembrance of the prophecies foretelling Christ's advent to earth and reflect upon the longing for deliverance that the people of Israel felt as they waited for Jesus to come. And let's just stand and sing these beautiful Advent songs together this morning. Come, thou art 
out now.
we pray this. And open up my eyes to the things I see. Show me how to love like you. How to love me. And break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause. As I walk from earth into Whole prayer again. Heal my heart and make it clean. So heal my heart and make it clean. Open up my eyes to the things I see. Show me how to love like you. Have love me. Now, church, one voice. That is the cry of our hearts. So then in the highest, we declare. And we thank you that that on this side of it, we see Emmanuel has come. And we see our hope. We see our joy. We see our salvation. In Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. We, we worship you today. We praise you today. We give you honor today. We give you glory today. We ask that by the power of your spirit now, you open our hearts to see your word, to see what's really there, to see who you really are. And as we see, God, would we just be transformed in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Thank you, Chris.
As we come to our text this morning, uh, I want to do something a little different. I'll do the pastoral prayer after we read our passage this morning. Um, Our passage is Isaiah 6, and it begins in verse 1. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of the one who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I, being Isaiah, said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he took, that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. Will you bow your heads with me? Father in heaven, we come to you now. And we ask that you would show us your glory. In the preaching of your word and by the beauty of of it that you would receive that we would receive this means of grace that we would see your love your mercy your holiness your righteousness that you are other and we have been set apart for you because we are your children father i pray that all of the worries of this world that everything that was weighing on our shoulders when we came in the door would just be left and be put aside. That as we hear your word, as we've sang these songs this morning, that those burdens would be lifted and that we would receive the peace that is brought by the Prince of Peace. Father, I ask that you would be with me this morning, that your Holy Spirit would guide my words that I say as we learn what it means to worship or what worship looks like. Father, we ask for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Now, I want to thank Ademi for the opportunity to preach on worship as worship is my passion. It is um, what I got my training in when I went to Boyce College. And it's something that I have just found great joy 
and satisfaction and meaning in since I was child. And in order to understand worship, we must return to the Garden of Eden first and foremost to understand who we are and what worship was supposed to mean before it was tainted by sin. One thing that we must establish first is that we are created in God's image. And what it means to be created in God's image is that we are representatives of him on the earth as rulers over the rest of creation. We are glory givers to him in everything that we say and do, whether it be work, whether it be our relationship with our spouse or family, or whether it just be resting and sleeping and eating. We are set apart for him to walk in direct relationship with him. If you remember, um, Adam and Eve walked in the garden with God. It's not necessarily explicitly set in scriptures, in the scriptures, but in Genesis 3, when God comes walking in the garden looking for Adam and Eve, you would understand that this was a regular part of their fellowship. We are also worshipers by nature of the one who made us and walks with us. Our original, our original state, our original function was to bring all glory to God and to worship him. But sin tarnished this, so everything looks a little bit differently than it used to. But as children of God, we can give glory and honor and praise to him because we have been restored in right relationship with him. So what does the act of worship look like now that we are the kingdom citizens and children of God? What does it look like to have a life orientation of worship? Well, let me begin with what worship is not. Worship is not just our gathering on Sunday mornings. Worship is not just singing songs on Sunday mornings or in our private worship times. Worship is not just reverence or solemnity. And it's not just excitement about the things of God or excitement about going to church on Sunday. Worship is essentially about who God is, what he has done, our relationship with God, about who we are in light of that truth, and our relationship to our fellow man. And in order to establish this definition of worship, we, we go to Isaiah 6 to look at this rhythm of worship that we see in the scriptures. Now, this rhythm of worship is one of revelation and response, one where God reveals to us himself, his truth, and how we respond to that revelation. So if you look back with me at verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now in this first verse alone, God is revealing three things about himself to Isaiah. God is revealing that he is king, that he is seated upon his throne. And the fact that the passage talks about King Uzziah dying is very important because King Uzziah was a righteous king. 
And as a prophet of God, you can only imagine how Isaiah would have felt when King Uzziah passed on. Israel was left without a, without a God-fearing, righteous king. So now what are we going to do? What is it going to look like for the next four years of his reign or however long he would reign? And I think we can kind of feel that too because it's been a long time since America has had a righteous ruler that has led us. But the Lord reveals to us that he is seated on his throne. The Lord is also high and lifted up, which means that he, is tra- he transcends everything that, would, that holds us as created beings. God does not age. God is not, um, he's not held by a term limit in his rule. God is ruler for all of eternity. And he transcends any ruler that sits upon the throne or is in office. And we can trust in the fact that he is good and that he has our best interest in mind. We also see God's majesty as the train of his robe filled the temple and his glory. And we also see, before we even get to the proclamation that the seraphim make, God's holiness. God had created the seraphim with six wings. And you can see that these seraphim don't use their wings for other purposes, such as, you know, just for their own majesty or their own glory or for, um, for bringing attention to themselves. But they don't even count themselves as worthy of looking upon the face of God or even stepping foot in his presence. Their wings cover their faces. Their wings cover their feet. And they fly because they don't even dare step foot in the presence of God. And they proclaim, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. Now, if you see the seraphim's response, you can only imagine what our response should be as non-angelic beings, as those who are of the earth. And Isaiah responds correctly. Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah understood in that moment rightly where he stood before God, before the king, that he didn't even deserve to be in the presence of him. One translation says, I am ruined. This translation says, for I am lost. I'm a lost cause. I'm ruined. I can't do anything to be here. I shouldn't even be here. Why am I here? But God reveals again something else about his character, that he is merciful and that he's gracious. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, and having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin 
atoned for. The Lord, in his grace and mercy, spared Isaiah. Isaiah should have been, and also you can see the grace of God even before we get to that point. Because Isaiah, when seeing the Lord, doesn't just burn to a crisp right then and there. And the Lord then extends a very physical and tangible means of his grace. And cleanses and atones for Isaiah's sin. And notice where the seraphim gets the coal from. The seraphim gets the coal from the altar. From someone or something else that has already been slain in Isaiah's place. It's a picture. It's a very, it's a very small picture. And you'd miss it if you just read over the passage. But it's just a picture of the fact and of the atoning work that Christ would have to do on our behalf on the cross because an animal was slain in the place of Isaiah and Christ would be Christ. The lamb would be slain in our place and on our behalf. And we have one final response from our passage. And it's when Isaiah has seen the grace of God and God then calls or is then God gives Isaiah a picture and a brief uh, peek into the divine council as they decide who shall I send and who will go for us and Isaiah said here I am send me here I am here is my everything not only my lips but also my heart and my life everything that I am for your kingdom's cause. Send me. So what does this look like in our weekly worship and in our daily personal worship and in our lives in general? We want to practice and we do practice as believers this rhythm of worship whether we know it or we or not. <laughs> so our model for Sunday morning looks like this. We have our call to worship, which is a reminder of who God is and what he's done. And then we have a song of response. An example would be how great thou art or holy, 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 as we respond to who God is and we worship him for who he is. Then we move to a time of a focus on the cross. So if you've noticed, the song that we sing right before the sermon generally deals with the gospel explicitly. It deals with Christ's work on the cross, and it deals with what that means for us. And so we sing a song of gratefulness and praise because of the cross. And then we move to the sermon. Now the sermon is where the Lord will speak to us directly through his servant, through his preached word. And the Lord then uses that to work in our hearts, work in our minds, even as we go out and leave this place, and as we go into our week, to train us, to teach us, and then to show us what we are to do and how we are to live our lives before him. Then we sing a song of response and dedication. 
We sing a song that we proclaim, Lord, I surrender all. It's not my life. It's your life because you have saved me. You've raised me and you've called me as your own. And so I want to give you everything. And then we come to our time of benediction. And in our benediction, we have another reminder of the truth or a prayer from the scriptures that we pray, that I as the worship leader pray over you all as you go out. And then our response to that is to go out and be lights in our kingdoms or in our communities for the kingdom. And what does this look like for personal worship? We read and we listen to the word in our own time and in our own times of meditations and time spent with the Lord, whether it be through reading the scriptures ourselves, reading them aloud, or listening to a sermon from a trusted source, or doing a lesson or a teaching from a fellow pastor or teacher. And we respond to that with singing songs of praise and prayer. Now, I would encourage you to make a practice of singing praise songs in your own personal time of worship. Because singing such songs help us to put the word of God deep in our hearts and establish us in the truth that we've read from the scriptures. It also is a means of, it, it's a means of grace in that way. And also there is intimacy in singing a song directly to the Lord, in singing, a, in singing words directly to him. And then another way that the Lord reveals himself is when we listen and hear the Lord's spirit as he brings to mind passages of scripture or as he gives us a specific leading or where we're supposed to go. And we also meditate on the Lord's word establishing ourselves in that truth and praying and seeking the Lord's face and his guidance in life. And then our response is going out into the world, going about our daily lives as we live with our families, our friends, our coworkers, our fellow church members, and our communities. And this also translates over into our model for life, like what worship looks like in general. We hear the word of the Lord. We know his truth. And then we do the word. One example of that comes from Romans 12. The entire book of Romans up to this point has been Paul teaching the Roman church right doctrine about justification, God's grace, his love for us, our positions as sons and daughters in the kingdom. And then our response is this in light of all of that. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, 
that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Our response to the mercies of God is to present our lives, our bodies, everything we do as a living sacrifice, as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. And as you notice in the passage, it says, holy and acceptable to God. Now, holiness is being set apart. Like I mentioned earlier in, in, uh, when we were discussing our original position in the Garden of Eden. We're set apart now for God because we have been saved by grace through faith. And now we must live lives set apart. Now, being set apart means that we live lives in a completely different category than the rest of our neighbors. It means that as we walk through life, we're not pleased by the same things that we once were when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But it means that we live a life of loving obedience and a walking in faith with the Lord as we go through life. And we mean to structure our lives around the way that God sees life and the way that God sees things. We no longer do it by how we think we should do it. And we be and in walking this way, we're transformed in the renewal of our minds by abiding in Christ and that our faith would be tested so that we may discern the will of God in what is good, acceptable and perfect. This is what worship looks like for all of life. So with this rhythm of revelation and response, the gospel itself is a story meant for worship. The revelation that we were sinners lost and alone, that we were following after the path of all of the rest of mankind. We were lost. We were ruined. And if we were to step foot into the presence of God, we could not stand for his glory would utterly smite us. But God sent Jesus, born of a virgin, and in God giving Christ through the birth of a virgin, God shows that all human boundaries of what we think is possible are not impossible for him, that he can do anything, that he can overcome any barrier that we face on this earth. And then Christ humbled himself and lived among us like the rest of mankind, but he was without sin. He taught us to love one another as citizens of the kingdom, tenderly and lovingly teaching us what we must do and how, how we must live once we are in the kingdom. And then Jesus went quietly to the cross. And he showed us true love and glory as he died in our place for our sins. And Jesus not only conquered our sins, but he conquered death when after staying in the tomb three days, 
He rose from the dead, conquering death. It is finished, brothers and sisters. It is finished. Our sin is finished. Our sin has been atoned for. Death has been defeated. That is past tense. That is what has been done for you and me. This is the revelation of the Christian life that guides us in the truth that we see. And how do we know that it's finished? Because Christ is seated. He is sitting at the right hand of the throne on high. He sat down after making atonement for our sins. And what is our response? Belief and repentance of sins and a life leading to obedience and worship. And the revelation that comes once we are children of God, that we have been restored to our original position as image bearers before God and man, in that we are once again his representatives on earth. We are glory givers to him in everything that we say and do once again. We are set apart for him. We are held by him until that final day, until we die by his will, in his timing, when we die and go to be in, he- in heaven with him, we are held. We are set apart for Christ. We are his inheritance. And our natural worship that would have been diverted to other things, to the created order, to other men and women, to things, to money, to wealth, to fame, has been redirected to the one who deserves it all. The triune God. Father, Jesus, and Holy Spirit. And our response? A life of thankfulness and honor that, uh, that lives these things out before men, that lives the gospel out before men in our daily lives, whether it be through the words that we say, the actions we do, or just how we think about life. We think about life differently now. Everything is different now. And we live a life lived in intimacy with the one who gave his life for us. Will you bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you for this time that we were able to come before you and by your word be able to see the truth and see how we should live lives of worship. Father, I ask that you would um, that you would begin to transform our understanding of what worship is, that it would be conformed to how we find it in scripture. Father, I ask that you would work in your people's hearts, that you would convict us of unbelief, or that you would help to establish us in the truth that I have preached this morning, Father. Lord, I ask that um, as we come to this time of response, Lord, I pray that your people's hearts and minds would be open, that they would be ready to um, 
to change, to conform, to mold themselves into Christ's desires. And Father, we ask for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. in worship. Have to bear with me for a second. There's a grace. There's a grace when the heart is under fire. Another way when the walls are closing in. When I look at the space between where I used to be and this reckoning.
sing this third verse again. There is no other name but the name that is Jesus. Let's just end this new song this morning on, on this, this thought. He who was and still is and will be through it all. Through it all, no matter what it is, no matter what all is. There is no other name but the name that is Jesus. There is no other name but the name that is Jesus. He who was and still is and will be through it all. So come what may. So come what may in the space between all the things I see and this reckoning. I know I will never be alone. And I know I will never be alone. Amen. We're just going to close out with a 
just a famous Christmas song, just, but what a call for us today. Oh, come, let us adore him. Let us just adore. He is faithful. He is worthy of praise. And uh, as we close, just uh, just a quick uh, apologize. The realistic thing is we have instruments that have real issues with them. And so having some string issues here this morning, uh, couldn't get it done before Devin was done with the, the sermon today. Uh, so that's what was the weirdness coming back up on stage in the middle of the song, you know. Uh, but it is what it is. I think we got it taken care of, so we'll see. Uh, but, oh, come, all ye faithful. Come, let us adore him. Amen. And this is what we're called to, not just in the Christmas season. Right, this is just a worship song. This is just a praise song for us today. Um, and so, actually, before we even get into verse 1, let's just sing this chorus together. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him.
Well, I can't find my mic, so. <laughs> Our benediction this morning comes from Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Go forth, brothers and sisters, letting your lives, your bodies, your hearts, your minds be an active and living and breathing spiritual act of worship. You are dismissed until we return again.